You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com.
All right, well, I'm gonna welcome everyone back to their seats. If you didn't get a pastry or coffee, feel free to grab that. If you haven't gotten seeds from Julie yet, stop and say hi. Find your way back to your seats. On your way, if you want to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, that's what will be today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. So Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. If you're using one of our hardback black pew Bibles, uh, that's on page 977, so you can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, use that and take it home with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hands. Um, And then if you don't have a scripture journal yet, too, we still have just a handful of those left, so feel free to grab one of those. People have enjoyed taking notes through the Ephesians series in that, so feel free to grab that. Today's passage in Ephesians 4 is an appeal to growth and maturity as people who follow Jesus. And much like a child grows into an adult, we are meant to grow from being infants in our faith in Christ to grow into adulthood in faith. That's the picture Paul gives us today in our passage And in our series through the book of Ephesians, which we've titled Foundations of Faith, it's like we're laying the foundation stone today of growth and maturity in our following of Jesus together. If you ever feel stuck, if you ever feel like there are barriers to your growth, unable to grow, or if you wonder how you can play a part in our shared growth together, then today's passage is going to be of help to us. And so if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 4, I'll read. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, and you're able. We're going to begin in verse 7 and go through verse 16. And it says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Grab a seat. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and the gift it is to us as your people. And here as we gather together to open it and to hear from you, Lord, I pray that your word would shine, that we would see what you have for us. And we ask for your help at this time. So would you open our eyes that we could behold the wondrous things found here in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A recent survey showed that about two-thirds of Americans since the start of COVID report that they are more aware of how important their health is, which should not come as a surprise. Uh, The same number of people in that survey have said that weight loss is one of their top goals in the next year. And based on that survey, it seems like people are more aware of their need for greater health. 
But then the next question we should ask is, well, has that had an impact on their lives? And how has that impacted them? And what the survey has found is that it hasn't in many ways. Two-thirds of people say that they want to become healthier. In fact, two-thirds say they want to lose weight. But of the same number of people, over half of them have actually gained 9 to 20 pounds in the last year. And what's so often true of our physical health is also true of our spiritual health. We say that we want to grow. We do want to. We know how important it is. And yet we run into barriers. We run into difficulties. And what we aspire to do doesn't always become reality. But um, this is true for the body of Christ. Just as we want our physical bodies to be healthy, the body of Christ we want to be healthy. In our passage, Paul is actually calling us to growth together. He's making an appeal in our passage to maturity and health together. What what we'll find in our passage, my hope for us today in terms of just our summary of the scripture, of of the sermon today, is this, that you have a part to play in our shared growth together. We want to grow together, and we all have a part to play. Paul does not want us to remain as children in Christ. He wants us to grow in our maturity. That is the goal. That is the aim. And that does not happen on our own. You can't do that by yourself. We need one another to grow into maturity, and we all have a part to play in our shared growth. And so the outline for our sermon today is kind of, it's going to be sequential in its feel. You'll see the way that there's a progression to it. And so first, we'll see that God has given gifts. Second, we'll see that gifts equip the saints. And then third, equipped saints mature the church. And finally, maturity is possible because of the victory of Jesus. And so first, God has given gifts. We said last week that God wants unity in the church. This is a desire he has for the church. He made us for this. He doesn't want uniformity. He wants unity. He has given each of us gifts and roles that we can play for the good of one another. And so we're never going to ask you to just be clones of one another. We each have a unique role to play. We each have gifts to, to use for the good of one another. The unity that we have in Christ, like we saw in verses four through six of the chapter last week, we saw that in those giftings or in the unity that we have, there's substance there that can hold this together, even in the midst of our diversity. And today we're going to see the diversity of the gifts expressed. So look with me at verse 7, where Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul doesn't exclude anyone in that phrase. When he says that the grace of God that was given was given to each one of us. That means everyone, to all of us. We all have been given gifts. No one is excluded in this distribution of grace expressed in the gifts of Christ. And the purpose of those gifts is for the growth of the church. We each have a part to play in our shared growth together. And by God's grace, he's gifted us for that work. And this kind of met or this paradigm of gifting us for the good of one another it's not unique just to ephesians chapter 4 there are several other places in the bible where a similar vision of equipping god's people for our shared growth is present let me highlight two of them one is in first peter chapter 4 verse 10 as each has received a gift peter writes use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's varied grace we see the same basic ideas repeated we've received gifts They were given by God's grace. We should use them for the good of one another. Then in Romans 12, 5 through 6, we see this again. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And there we see unity, diversity. Though many, diversity, 
are one in Christ, unity, and individually members of one another. And here we see the the talk about gifts again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We see these basic ideas. Again, let me summarize what's consistent in all three passages about these gifts. We have all been given gifts by God's grace. We have been given a diversity of gifts. And we are all meant to use those gifts for the good of one another. We each have a part to play in our shared growth together. And by God's grace, he has gifted us for that work. The second thing we see is even in this gifting that we've been given a diversity of responsibilities. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same responsibilities necessarily. If we jump down to verse 11, we see five specific gifts that God has given people in the church to equip the saints. Paul wants to highlight these. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. They're given, among, or given to some among the body, not necessarily everyone, for special leadership. And so we'll see them. I'll help define them a little. Apostles, they break new ground. They lead new initiatives. Prophets speak the truth of God to people in the present. Sometimes we think prophets are just predicting the future. Prophets here, they're speaking the truth of God to people in the present. Evangelists are gifted at communicating the redemptive message of the gospel. Shepherds are pastoral. They're gifted in care and nurture of the flock. And teachers, which are closely related to shepherds, are gifted at explaining God's word and then helping to apply it to life. And some of you in this room have one or more of these gifts. These gifts are not necessarily expressed in formal leadership positions. You don't have to be in a leadership position in order to have these gifts and use these gifts. But the church needs all five gifts to be present for us to grow and to flourish in the way that God intended. And we want you to help express these gifts in your life. What people have observed is that as a church grows older in a region, it naturally gravitates to two particular gifts among them, shepherds and teachers, which makes sense. As a church grows older, they want these things more. They want shepherds and teachers, but often it's to the neglect of the other three. And here's what ministry leader Alan Hirsch has said about these gifts. He says, we need more than a pastor and or teacher leading a congregation. A missional church requires pioneering, innovative, organizationally adaptive, and externally focused leadership and this means five-fold understanding of ministry leadership. And, and doesn't that just make sense for an organization, for a church to grow healthy, that we'd have varied gifts among our leaders, both innovative and caring, both externally focused and maturity conscious. God designed the church in this way, and he's gifted us for this work. It says that he has given these gifts to the church for equipping And I believe that there are latent gifts among our people that are not fully expressed. That is true in so many churches. But if it happens, it will help our church to flourish if we express these gifts together. Like a spark in the woods becomes a forest fire, so also these gifts in the church, when expressed, have the potential to help us grow and flourish together. Now, that doesn't mean everyone in the church has one of these five gifts. There's a diversity of gifts expressed in the New Testament. But there are some in our church who do, and you may not even know it, and you may not know how to use these gifts, but we want them to be expressed. Alan Hirsch, the man I just quoted, he's actually developed an assessment in which he can help you discover if you have one of these gifts. The assessment is not free, but if you want to take the assessment, if anyone is willing to take the assessment and then meet with one of our leaders afterward to discuss it, 
email me and we will help you get access to that assessment and then follow up with you afterward. Because we're serious about wanting to help you express your gifts in the life of the church. And second, what we see then is these gifts equip the saints. The fivefold leadership gifts from verse 11 were given for a reason, and the purpose is seen in verse 12, to equip the saints. And equip saints do two things, the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Some church traditions throughout history have interpreted verses 11 and 12 in the relationship between the two in a way that creates a significant divide between leaders in the church, or sometimes called clergy, and its members, sometimes called laity. And here's how this has worked out. In verse 11, there's this five-fold gifting of leaders, and then in verse 12, we see three prepositional phrases. The first begins with the word two, and the next two, the second and third, begin with the word four. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. And certain traditions have said that all three of those are done by the five-fold leaders. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they do them. They equip the saints, they do the work of the ministry, they build up the body. And that makes for a significant distinction then between leaders and members. But that's not how we believe that Paul intended us to read this passage. And one of the reasons is because of his intentional shift in those prepositions at the beginning. He goes from the word to in the first preposition to the words for in the second and third. And the result is what is known as the ministry of all believers or the priesthood of all believers. And here's how that works. God has given the fivefold gifts to equip the saints and equipped saints do the work of ministry and build up the body. Now that can get quite technical. Some of you love when I get into that kind of stuff and give you those distinctions. Others of you just like slept for three minutes and you're ready to start over again. But let me tell you why that distinction matters. In one view, the work of ministry is done by the few for the sake of the many, and it creates a significant divide between its elders and members. It puts significant pressure on people like me in my position, and it makes you into consumers who contribute very little to the economy of the work of ministry. The second view, the work of ministry done by many for the sake of all, this divide between elders and members is much smaller. The fivefold leaders, their responsibility is not to do all of the ministry, but to equip the saints for the ministry, and then together we get to do it. The result is that you're not a consumer, but a contributor. You play an important role in the health and the growth of a church. When I was a student at North Dakota State University, I was really involved with a campus ministry that had a heavy emphasis on mentorship and discipleship. And my freshman year, I was mentored by a staff member. Every week, he would meet with me. And then my sophomore year, I just just thought it was a natural response that I guess I should do the same thing. And so I found a freshman that I wanted to meet with. And I didn't know what I was doing. I made a lot of mistakes, but I just felt like I needed to do the same thing. I needed to invest in someone else. Well, by about my junior year, there were some other students who started to go frustrated with the leaders of this ministry, the campus staff of this ministry. And one of the reasons why is because they looked at me and some of the other students who were doing similar things, and they thought that the staff had like assigned us the job to mentor others. And they were saying, how, how come nobody's giving me the job to mentor someone else? thinking that I had been assigned the job rather than just responding to what I had been given. And that's true in the local church as well sometimes. I hear these phrases sometimes. I've had someone say to me, I want to do some ministry. When are you going to give me a job? And what they mean by that is, when are you going to give me a volunteer role so that I can be involved in ministry? But when we think about what Paul had in mind here, 
When, when he gives these five, or when he lists these five-fold leadership to equip the saints for the work of ministry, he's not just thinking about serving on a ministry team once a month. Now, that's important work. We just highlighted all of our ministry teams because that's important work, but he wants more for us than just that. We do need to volunteer and serve in these roles, but Paul had something far more organic, far, far more all-encompassing in mind. Here at River City Church, you are the ministry of our church. Your life is our collective ministry to one another, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, our family, our friends. And we want so much more for you than just to volunteer once a month. So hear me in this. Don't wait for someone to ask you to be part of the ministry. Ask yourself, how have I been equipped? Where am I gifted? How can I invest? And then do that. Take that step. And if you need help to take that step, then ask us, and we would love to help you. That's part of our job, to equip you for the work of ministry. And that might mean, here's some just simple ways that that might express itself. It might mean that you invite someone new out for coffee. When you meet someone new, exchange some digits, ask them to go get some coffee with you. Get to know them a little bit. Or maybe you give someone a ride home who has difficulty with transportation. Or maybe you see a young family. There's a lot of young families now, and that can be a hard season. Maybe you see a young family and you say, I want to help. I want to help them, invest in them, do what I can to help share that load with them. There's innumerable ways that you can express this ministry in our church. We are the ministry together. And so we can play our part in our shared growth together. Third, what we see is that equipped saints then mature the church. That work together brings maturity. The outcome of equipped saints that we see in verses 13 through 16, Paul gives very vivid descriptions about what maturity looks like. And what I want to make sure you hear is that the responsibility of the work of ministry and the maturity of the body is not just the elders, the staff, the deacons. It's not just the five-fold leaders. My job is to equip you. Our job together is to help grow the body, to pursue maturity. You have a part to play. And so ask yourself, how can you contribute to this maturity? And let's look at some of the ways Paul describes that then. What is this, what is this vision of maturity he has in mind? Well, one of the analogies he uses is adulthood versus childhood. He writes in verse 13 about attaining mature manhood. And that's not meant to be like a gendered term that it's only for men. This is, think, think like adulthood. This is for all of us. Okay, and he compares it then in verse 14 to children, so that we may no longer be children, he says. You can grow into adulthood as a follower of Jesus, or you can stay like a child. And if you have ever met a 30-year-old child who takes no responsibility for their lives, whose emotional maturity is like a toddler, who lives in a very selfish way, you will struggle to have respect for them, and you'll want them to grow up. Because when someone's someone's maturity, their kind of emotional, mental, spiritual maturity is out of sync with their age and their physical maturity. It just doesn't make sense. We see the way that that is out of sync. And in the same way, God desires us to grow into maturity as followers of Jesus and to never stop, never be satisfied with the growth you've experienced. We can keep growing all the way to the grave. My wife, Megan, has been reading a book called Gist, the Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids, and she's really enjoying this book. And when Megan is really enjoying a book, it kind of feels like I'm reading it with her <laughs> because we talk about it a lot. And she loves to read out loud to me, especially the parts that she likes, which I generally really enjoy her reading out loud to me. Uh, but sometimes I'm reading my own book, 
And she says, oh, Jeremy, this part's really good. Can I read it to you? And at that point, I have to make a decision. Am I going to say yes and join her in her learning or no and risk maybe her being hurt by that? And husband's always yes. Always yes. Let her read. Okay? Well, one time she was reading this one paragraph that was really good. And I was at family camp with our oldest son, Liam, or sorry, not family, dads and lads with our oldest son, Liam. And so she texted it to me. She just typed it out, sent it to me while I was there. And it really was good. And it describes how someone can grow into an older person, but not necessarily a more mature one. And one of the ways that we short circuit that growth is by blaming others. So let me read you this quote. It says, when a person overuses blame, they just never seem to grow up. A 70-year-old blamer will never grow up. We all grow from our mistakes, but only from the mistakes that we don't blame on others. Think about it this way. If a person blames 2,000 of their mistakes on someone else, 2,000 growth-producing possibilities have been missed. Ultimately, passing up that many opportunities to grow will slow or stop anyone from maturing. If you have a child who is a blamer, he will gradually fall behind his peers. And the reality is that this is not just for parents and children. This is for all of us. So much of this book is just like a self-assessment of our own lack of maturity and how we can be life-ready adults. I don't know. It's like we've got growth to do, right? As we think about raising our kids, it is possible to grow to the age of 70 and have passed up thousands of growth-producing possibilities and stunt your maturity in the, pos- in the process. As a follower of Jesus, God wants us to keep growing. Never be content with where you are in the growth process. There is always more available for you. And we all have a part to play in one another's maturing process. We have this awesome privilege of helping one another to go from infancy in faith to adulthood. What happens when we are not mature then is described in verse 14. If we pass up these growth, maturing opportunities, we see this described. We are tossed to and fro by the waves. We are carried about by every wind of doctrine. Paul uses two analogies here of ungrounded and untethered people. Think of a ship in the middle of rough waters, inadequate to withstand the white caps that are tossing it around. Or think about a leaf that is light and it's fragile, being blown about by the wind, unable to stop itself, unable to be settled, waiting to be crushed and then spread like dust in the wind. In a culture filled with competing visions of the world, where we are constantly faced with winds of doctrine that want to blow us off course and waves that want to dislodge our faith, if we remain as children, we'll be pushed around, unable to remain steadfast. We must take seriously our responsibility to grow together and to do our part in helping one another to grow toward maturity. The fourth thing we'll see is that maturity is possible because of the victory of Christ. For this final point, we're actually going to jump back up to the beginning of our passage. When Paul says that he's given gifts or that God has given us gifts in verse 7, he then quotes from Psalm 68 in verse 8. And I want to help you see why that should give us confidence in our faith. Psalm 68 is somewhat of a long psalm, so I'm not going to go back and read the entire thing right now. And in some ways, it's arguably one of the most difficult psalms to interpret. But we should ask ourselves, whenever we see a quotation from the Old Testament in the New, what what does Paul mean? Like, what, what are they getting at? Why did they include it there? And one of the really important themes in Psalm 68 that was present in a lot of Jewish writing around the time of Paul is the confidence we can have in God's great power. 
that God is powerful and we can trust in him. In many ways, this psalm is a prayer that God would strengthen his people. That's what David's asking for in this psalm, to strengthen his people through a divine warrior who will defeat his enemies. God's people were constantly feeling their own inadequacy. They knew that they could not be strong all on their own, or at least they felt the consequences when they thought that they could. They felt the consequences of the rebellion. They could do little to withstand their enemies that surrounded their nations all on their own. And so the psalmist makes a reference to Moses in the psalm, who was this great leader and this prototype of what they wanted for a leader. Moses, God had used him once before to lead his people out of Egypt. God had strengthened his people through Moses to defeat their enemies and to enter into a covenant with God. But over and over, God's people had rebelled. They had turned away. They had succumbed to their weakness, and their weakness was a reality for them. They were weak against their enemies. They were weak against their own, rea- or their own idolatry. And so the psalmist here, he's asking God to send a new leader, a better leader even than Moses, a divine warrior who would strengthen his people and deliver them. Today, we can resonate with this. We can feel this in our own lives. Not necessarily against physical enemies, but we can feel our own weakness. We can get frustrated with our own ability to change, to conquer sin, to grow in the ways that I've been talking about, to overcome our rebellion, to stop doing the things that we hate that we're doing. Think about this parallel for a moment. If someone has been a mason for 40 years and laying brick, he's going to be very good at what he does after 40 years. If not, he's probably not still going to be a bricklayer 40 years later. And the same is true for nearly any profession we can think of. But for some reason, there are a lot of people who have been following Jesus for 40 years and they still act like an infant in Christ. And why is that? Why do we run into those bears? Why do we stay as children when God wants us to grow toward maturity? Well, in some cases, it is because of our own neglect. Sometimes it's our unwillingness to be committed to growth together. Sometimes it's because people feel paralyzed, stuck in patterns they cannot overcome, frustrated by sin, and at some point, just making peace with it, not believing that you can do anything to change it. Some of you might feel that right now. You might feel as I've been talking about growth, that there are things in your life that you've just made peace with. You just said, I can't can't seem to overcome this. I'm just going to accept it. I was meeting with someone recently who leads a men's purity ministry, and he said something to me that was devastatingly sad. He said that he regularly meets with men over 50 who have compartmentalized their lust and their idolatry, thinking that they might have caged it enough. They gave up trying to kill it, And as a result, their maturity has been stunted. The contribution they can bring to God's kingdom has been hindered. And one of the reasons that we can be stuck as infants in Christ is that we gave up believing that Christ could change us. And for you, it may not be lust and pornography, but it might be pride. It might be substances. It might be insecurity. But here's what I want you to see. Paul's reference to Psalm 68 is meant to give us hope. Up to this point in the sermon... What you might have heard me say so far is work harder because you're failing to make yourself more mature. Or you might have heard me say, do your part because you're failing to help one another be more mature. But that is not what Paul is saying. That is not what I want you to hear. Because the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 68 is for God to send a divine warrior who will defeat his enemies, empower God's people, and bring victory 
to our lives, that prayer is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, which is what Paul is reminding us about in verses 9 and 10. Jesus is the one who ascended because he is the one who first descended. He humbled himself. He came to earth in the form of a human. He took on flesh, and his victory was secured through his death. Satan thought that he had won the battle. He thought that he had put God in the grave, but he did not realize that the grave could not hold him. And so through Christ's resurrection and through his ascension, Jesus made it clear to all of creation, both visible and invisible, seen and unseen, that he is Lord. And just as a warrior king distributes gifts to his people, his followers, after the victory, so Jesus has now distributed gifts to his people. We have received the spoils of victory in the gifts of God's spirit. He has given us his spirit, empowered us through his spirit. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And here's what I want you to hear. You don't have to be stuck. God's spirit lives inside of you if you are in Christ. That doesn't mean growth is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be fast. It doesn't mean that injured parts of the body don't need to be protected for a time to heal. But it does mean that growth is always possible. And we all have a part to play in our growth together. I mentioned earlier a survey in which two-thirds of people have seen that their health is more important to them, but at least half of those people have seen their health measurably decline. And here at River City Church, we believe that our health together as a body of Christ is important. And if I surveyed this room, probably nearly 100% of you would say, yes, that is important. And if that is true, then let's take it seriously. We can do our part in our shared growth together. Not because it's all dependent on us. In fact, actually, our confidence is in the very fact that it's not all dependent on us because we've followed the divine king who gifted us for this work and empowered us to grow in maturity together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.